Well, good morning, Apex. Many of you know me by now, but my name is Chris, and my family and I are still fairly new, and I can see it on your faces. You're worried that the worship guy is preaching, aren't you? You don't know what this is going to be like. There's fire exits back in the back there. If you need to get out, I won't think any less of you, but I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to preach this morning. Thankful that Mike is getting a, a vacation. Thankful for Denny and Team 3. Many of these guys have never played together before, and this was their debut, so I can't wait to, to hear him in a few months. Um, today, we're going to be continuing, as we have been, journeying through the book of Luke. We're going to be, uh, as Aaron and Tiffany told us, in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. This parable is sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow. Sometimes it's called the parable of the unjust judge. Uh, years ago, it was called the parable of the nagging widow, but... Times change, and that's probably not the best way to phrase it anymore. But I've just titled the message the, the Judge and the Widow because the two characters really do play an equal role in the story. I think it'll be helpful for us before we just dive right in to pause briefly and remind ourselves a little bit about what parables are and how they work. Parables are fascinating, aren't they, in that they have different layers of meaning. What you see on the surface is not really the truth that Jesus means to convey to us. A parable, I've heard it said, is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly truth. I think that's, a, that's kind of a helpful way to remind us that there are layers and we need to look and dig a little bit deeper to get to what Jesus wants us to know. But I think that might do something of a disservice to us and drive a wedge between the here and now. One of the things that I want us to remember before we dive in is that Jesus is trying through this parable to present spiritual and kingdom truths to his disciples but they're not just truths for tomorrow. It's not just the kingdom to come, but it's the kingdom here and now. It's the kingdom among us. So as we journey through this together, as we read it, just keep your eye open for those spiritual and kingdom truths. A parable is often a story set in the physical world whose truths are kingdom-focused and spiritual truths. If we think about this as we go, then it helps us to, to... Just look for those truths. Helps us to remember that they're not simply fables, right? You know what fables are. Have you heard of Aesop's fables? The tortoise and the hare, the mouse and the lion, uh, the boy who cried wolf. These are all fables, and fables are very alike uh, or akin to to parables in that um, they're similar literary styles. But a fable is a fictional short story that presents a universal moral, right? Right? Slow and steady wins the race. Never underestimate your opponent or others. Or in the case of the boy who cried wolf, people don't believe liars even when they happen to tell the truth. So it's a universal moral, it's a universal truth, but Jesus uses parables in a much different way. They don't just simply have one one phrase you can take away and it means the same to everyone. Jesus' parables were taught to his disciples to teach them these deep and spiritual kingdom truths. So to people who weren't a part or weren't yet a part of the kingdom, they made little to no sense. They couldn't wrap their heads around them. You remember in Matthew 13 when the disciples asked Jesus, why is it that you teach in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. He goes on to quote Isaiah Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. It continues, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. 
Truly, I tell you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not, and long to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So let's remember that as we continue on. Let's look for the spiritual truths. Let's look for the kingdom truths. Let's dig a little deeper and find what Jesus wants us to find. It's going to be in Luke 18, 1 through 8. Let's read it again. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you say a quick prayer with me? Father, we pray and we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We pray that it's a blessing. We pray that we're encouraged. But Father, most of all, we pray that we can come to your word and hear what you have to tell us this morning. We pray that the Spirit is working in our hearts to begin to mold us and shape us and urge us toward whatever action you want us to take when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're like me, you read a story like this. It's, it's short, isn't it? It's brief. You have some introductory, introductory statements there at the beginning, and you have some kind of closing statements. And the parable is really only the middle few verses. And I read this parable, and I think, well, what exactly was it that the widow was dealing with? What was the specific problem? What was the injustice? Who was it that was doing something against this widow? Why was the judge such a jerk? Why was the widow so persistent in the face of what seemed like a hopeless situation? That's just my natural inquisitiveness, I guess. Is that a word, inquisitiveness? That's just my, my natural personality. I'm very inquisitive. I want to know more. Before I know what to do with this story, I have to have more of the facts, right? But what is so masterful and timeless about the way that Jesus sets up these parables is he only gives us the most basic of facts so that we know immediately how we feel about the characters in the story, don't we? Is there anyone in the room here who's on the judge's side? Just raise your hand. No. We're all on the widow's side, right? Even here today, we want justice for the widow. We want the judge to be taken down a peg or two. Jesus paints these pictures with broad strokes to elicit a very certain response in his audience. The questions are often interesting that we might ask, but we get bogged down in the details. Jesus gives us the facts that we need to get his spiritual and kingdom truth across to us. I read through a lot of commentaries as I was preparing for this message, and it seemed like everyone had a different opinion. Everyone had a different um, speculation as to what the widow was going through. Some would say, oh, certainly. It was financial in nature. Someone was withholding money that she was owed, or, or certainly it had to do with property rights. Someone was encroaching on what was hers, or certainly it must have had something to do with her dead husband. And whoever this injustice came from, it, it had something to do with the death of her husband. And I, I read through them, and I thought, 
who cares? You know what I mean? Who, who, who cares? It's not, first of all, this wasn't a real widow. This isn't a real event. It's a story that Jesus crafted for a very specific reason. He did so in a way that we desperately want justice for the widow. We don't need to know what the backstory is because there wasn't a backstory. It's a parable. It would be as if we read the tortoise and the hare. Right? You know the story well. The tortoise and the hare. If we read it and we thought, well, there had to have been a it had to have been a woolly highland hare. It just, there's no way it couldn't have been. It had to have been a brown-headed jackrabbit. Mm-hmm. Had to have been. I think you're missing the point, dude. You see what I'm saying? That's the same thing with parables. The truth that Jesus wants us to see is not as specific as all that. So what, what was the widow's problem? It doesn't really matter. Some kind of injustice. But Jesus could have used any wrongdoing. Why did the widow have a problem? Because Jesus, as a storyteller, wanted her to. Why was the judge so cold and calloused? Because Jesus, as a storyteller, crafted it in that way. Why was the widow so persistent in the face of injustice and hopelessness? Jesus wanted her to be. Why did the judge finally give in? Because Jesus wanted him to. Jesus causes us even here today to feel the way we feel about these two characters. There's no doubt whose side we're on. But the feelings would have been even more amplified in his original audience. That visceral response, that internal feeling would have been even more prominent to his original disciples. There are very few things as constant as a call to care for the widows and the orphans and the outcasts and strangers. I mean, it's all throughout the scripture from the earliest pages. And judges likewise are told to rule fairly and and fear God. So Jesus presents these two prototypes who appear as occupants on opposite ends of the spectrum of prominence and wealth and prestige and power. And we want the underdog to win no matter what. The widow is always listed among the most vulnerable in society. We're on her side. We want her to prevail. We want the injustice corrected. But the story is not simply about justice and injustice. The judge is unjust from the earliest time that judges are established in the scripture. They're to be fair and to honor God. This judge was running directly against the grain of everything it meant to be a proper judge. And notice how Jesus points out a direct antithesis to the great commandment to love God and love others. This, guy, this judge did neither. And he was almost proud of it, wasn't he? That's the picture that Jesus paints. So it was only the persistence of the widow that finally won him over. It was only her persistence that finally caused a change. It was the only tool that she had. And she used it to back one of the most prominent and powerful members of any Jewish society into a corner that he didn't want to be in. I love the skit this morning. Chad, you could be an actor. You were good. She backed him into a corner that he didn't want to to be in. Pay attention because Jesus doesn't paint a picture here for us that the judge had a change of heart, did he? He didn't have some spiritual awakening. He didn't have some kind of kairos moment. No, he got fed up. He was tired of dealing with it. The translation that I read from most often said... um, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. 
the one we read from this morning and, and many of your others say, I will give her justice so that she won't attack me. It's kind of interesting, the difference there. The original Greek, this is what it says. It says, I'm going to give her justice so that she won't give me a black eye. And you can see when you, when you hear that, you know Jesus is using metaphorical language there, isn't he? He is painting another picture. He's, he's not trying to say this judge was worried about this widow coming up and punching him in the face. That would be something to see, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Much like we would use that phrase today to give something or an organization, a black guy, the judge gets to a point where he realizes if he doesn't take some kind of action, people are going to start talking. Everyone knew how you were supposed to care for and protect widows, and the judge wasn't doing it. People are going to start talking. He was going to start losing face. His reputation was at stake if he did nothing. You see, if the widow just would have come once or twice and then faded back, into the depths of society where she belonged, then the judge could have gone about his business as if nothing ever happened. But because she kept coming back day after day after day until her situation was made right, the judge realized, I'm going to have to do something. Keeping in mind then that Jesus wants us to, to hear spiritual truths from this passage. What are those spiritual truths? When you come at a parable like this and you start looking for them, when you look through that lens, they start popping off the page at you. You can't help but see them. It's like one of those, I don't know what they're called, but you know those books, they're like magazines or they're just big sheets of paper and they have just a random mess of colors and blobs and shapes and lines. And if you look at it in a certain way and you kind of cross your eyes a little bit and you stick the tongue out the side of your mouth, then something pops up off the page and you can see an image. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what they're called. They've got to have a name. For years as a, as a kid, I thought this was a joke. For years as a kid, I thought people were pulling my leg. Like friends and family would come over and they're just like, hey, let's see how, let's see how long we can get Chris to look at this random book. No, no, it's just modern art. Just let's see how long we can get him to stare at this page. 30 or 40 minutes go by and I'm just as mad as could be, like snipe hunting without having to leave your living room. But then one day, I was looking at one of these pages and I just did something right. And all of a sudden, there's a giraffe that pops up off this random image. I think, I see it now. I get it. I see what everyone else sees. I see what I'm supposed to see. That's the same way with parables like this. Jesus has something very specific we, we should see, we should take away, we should start applying to our lives here and now. Jesus doesn't simply want us to, to read a parable like this and for us to think we should, really, we should really argue and fight for justice. I mean, we should, no doubt. You can read any section of the Bible to find out that that would be an appropriate thing to do, but that's not the primary focus here. He doesn't want us to read this and think, don't be like the judge, take care of people who are, are down and out. I mean, we should. Jesus does want, want that, but that's not the spiritual kingdom message that he is trying to get through to us here. He's calling his disciples to be in constant and continuous prayer with God, to pray without ceasing, to pray expectantly, to, to continue to pray for justice and peace and hope and love and forgiveness and healing and all the things that the kingdom promises to bring. Prayer is powerful. 
Prayer is potent. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where prayer is our only option. It's the only tool that we have left. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that? Or like the widow, you just don't have anything else to do. You're out of options and all you can do is pray. Have you also in times like that seen God move? Have you seen things that can't be explained by any other means than God was in it and he responded to our prayer? Just a couple short years ago, some of our best friends in Kentucky, it's the call your family. My, my good friend, his name is Garrett, and he calls me one afternoon. Naomi and I are out of state somewhere, and he calls me, and he says, Chris, we just need you to start praying. I said, what's going on, man? And he said, our youngest, whose name is Aramis, his parents are cool, that's why his name is Aramis. He said, our youngest woke up this morning just screaming. Never heard him do anything like that. He was just screaming, saying his head hurt. So we took him to the little hospital here in town, and they've been running tests, and they think it might be meningitis, but they really have no idea. I said, sure, is there anything else we can do? Can we start heading back that? No, just pray. Just pray. So for a few hours, we prayed, and then we get a call with an update. He said, okay, now we're at the University of Kentucky Hospital. They've shipped us off here because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And as soon as we got here, they took Aramis back in for a CT scan and found out that he had a massive brain bleed. He said, right now as we speak, they are taking him back to have emergency surgery. And the doctors just came out and told us that they're going to try to do everything they can to save his life. Can you imagine waking up one day and just one of your children, for no reason at all, has something like that happen? The only option that we or his family or our church had was to pray. There was nothing else that we could do. The surgery went well on into the morning. And when I heard back the next day, Garrett said, Chris, the surgery went as well as they could have possibly hoped for. He said they got in and found out that he had some kind of genetic abnormality and blood vessels in his brains were kind of formed in a unique way. And he said that the surgeon said it was only a matter of time before something like this happened. He said, but as far as we can tell, it went as well as possible. Aramis is heavily sedated now. He's actually in a medically induced coma and he'll be that way for some time. Swelling goes down and healing and rest takes place. We thought the story was, was over there. Several days later, I get another call. And we, of course, had been to visit and helped out as much as we could during this time. But we get another call, and Garrett says, he says, Chris, things have taken a really bad turn. He said, over the night, the nurse was kind of doing her rounds, and she looked up and noticed that Aramis's heart had gone out of rhythm. So specialists have been in, and... Surgeons have been in and all kinds of doctors have been in and they've told us now that he has what's called propofol infusion syndrome. He said it's extremely rare and propofol is the agent, I guess, by which they keep people sedated and in that really deep sleep. And in the rarest of cases, it causes people's heart to go out of rhythm. It causes their vital organs to shut down and essentially it just causes them to pass away. 
And he came in, or he said that the doctors came in and told him what was going on, and he said they did not sound very hopeful at all. He said, what are we going to do about it? And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. We can kind of wean him off this medication and hope for the best. There's nothing we can do. And I can remember as distinctly as anything, my friend Garrett saying, whatever you do, Chris, whatever you do, don't Google it. Don't Google it. And I said, well, why not? He said, it's a death sentence. And he was, he was right. As soon or as rare as getting propofol infusion syndrome is, it's equally as rare to recover from it. So the church prayed. That's all we could do. His family prayed. People at this point across the world were praying. People we met on mission trips overseas and hundreds and hundreds of people were praying for Aramis. Days passed with no improvement, nothing. And then one night, a nurse was making her rounds and she looks up at the heart monitor and as faintly as you can believe, she just starts seeing that one little blip that had been absent for days now. She said, I think his heart's coming back into rhythm. And she gathered doctors and specialists, and they came in and confirmed that his heart was coming back into rhythm. A few days later, Aramis was out of the coma. A few days after that, Aramis had been moved to what they told us would be four weeks of physical therapy. A couple days after they moved him to that four-week physical therapy, he was back home. About a week later, he was back at church, and if he was sitting here today, you would never know anything ever happened to him. It reminds me in Acts 12, where Luke's writing, he says, Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. Notice the, the carefully chosen words there. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. Not and the church was praying. They weren't just two things happening at the same time. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. And the very next thing, what is it? Peter's not in prison anymore. That's the way I feel about my friend Aramis. Aramis was on his deathbed, but the church was praying. And now he's the happiest and healthiest little kid you've ever met. There's power in prayer. God answers prayer. And when we see things like that, when we see healings we can't explain, when we see justice come, when we see peace where there was none, that is the kingdom breaking through, isn't it? Jesus tells us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray for justice or healing or restoration, when we see those things come, we see the kingdom breaking through. We should pray continuously. We should ask consistently. We should constantly seek and we should knock until the door is open. I thought about this this week as I was preparing because you see a definite aspect of the already kingdom and the not yet kingdom, right? The kingdom that is among us and the kingdom that's still to come. We should pray continuously for the kingdom to break through. But how do we wrap our heads around this spiritual kingdom truth that the kingdom is here and now and among us, as Mike talked about last week, but there's still a, a kingdom fulfillment to come? And I, I thought about this place I've been to several times in Guatemala. It's called Rio Dulce. It's a big river, and it winds through this deep canyon to the ocean. It's a beautiful place. 
But like many rivers across the world, you can look down and it just looks muddy and murky and dingy, dirty. But the kingdom is kind of like the water in the river on its way to an ocean. You see, we're in the here and now kingdom. We're in the already kingdom. The kingdom is among us, but sometimes it doesn't quite feel that way, does it? And as that river in Guatemala, and again, many rivers across the world, makes its way to the sea, that specifically, there's a point in which the cliffs kind of open up and you just have open ocean. And there's a distinct point at which that fresh water meets the ocean water. And it's almost instantly like this brown, dirty water is just gone and there's clear blue ocean. Do we have a picture of that? Did I, is that one of the pictures I put in? So you can see this is not land, this is river water that meets the ocean. I feel like this is the way the kingdom is. You see, we're in this part of the kingdom right now and we're trailing our way down the winding river to the ocean. There will be a day when we won't have to pray for justice and peace and healing, won't there? But right now we're still in the, the here and now kingdom. We're still praying that his kingdom would break through more and more and that we would be agents by which it would break through into the world here and now. If there's ever been five or six months that I've been through that have reminded me that we're in that part of the kingdom and not that one, it's this, isn't it? We can see glimpses of hope. We can see glimpses of glory. We can see glimpses of peace and healing, but we can tell we're still in the muddy river water of the ocean, or of the, the river, I'm sorry. There's a final aspect I want us to talk about real quick, if you don't mind. And that is Jesus here draws an obvious parallel between the widow and his church. Obviously, Jesus wants his church to emulate this widow in her persistence, in her pleading for what is right. Jesus wants his church to be that way, to do those things. But he also draws a clear parallel between the judge and God. And in this parallel, we know immediately that the judge is nothing like God, don't we? God is not an unjust judge, but he's a caring father. He's not calloused and preoccupied toward the lowly, but instead he has made a way that even the most lowly among us have a seat at the kingdom's banquet. He will not hold his promises from us, but will answer our prayers and at the best time possible. He's not overwhelmed or annoyed with our prayers, but he longs to hear and answer the prayers of his people. Unlike the unjust judge whose reputation and prestige was of utmost importance to him, God, the very God of the universe, made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Our God is nothing like this judge. This is one of several parables and teachings of Jesus that uh, Jesus makes an argument from the lesser to greater, right? If even this judge 
granted this widow justice, how much more will your God, who is nothing like this judge, give you what you need? If the birds don't have to worry about where their food is coming from, how much more is God going to take care of you? If a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will God know how to give good gifts to his children? If the shrewd manager rewards his faithful servants, how much more will God reward his? It's that kind of argument that Jesus is making. So we can see this judge who we just find despicable in every way. And even he, even he eventually does what's right. But listen, we don't, we don't serve a God that we have to wait and hope that he eventually does what's right. The kingdom promises have been laid out. So maybe it is justice, justice that you're praying for right now. You can be assured that God will answer your prayer and will answer it in the affirmative. There's no other option. It's a kingdom promise. He might answer it while you're still in the river and he might once we get to the ocean. If you're praying for peace, if you're praying for love, if you're praying for healing, those are prayers that God can only answer in one way. He will only answer them in one way. It might be in the, the murky river water and it might be once you reach the, reach the ocean. But that's the kind of God that we serve, a God who will answer the prayers of his children. Jesus closes out this parable in a kind of a, a unique way. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth or will he find this kind of faithfulness? And it's just a, a re-emphasis and a reminder that this was a spiritual message Jesus was trying to get across. When the Son of Man returns, will he find people that have been as faithful as this widow was in her quest for what was right and her quest for justice. When that river meets the ocean, will he find people who have been constantly, consistently praying and seeking that God's kingdom would break through into the world around them? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we are a part of the kingdom now, but that your kingdom is, in some respects, still to come. Father, we pray and we thank you that this widow serves as a model for us to pray for the right things, to pray that your kingdom would break through. And Father, we pray especially now that as we prepare to leave this place, that you would help us to continue to pray in ways like that. And not only that, Father, but we pray that you would use us to be agents to bring your kingdom here to earth. Father, I don't know how the Spirit has been working in everyone's life this week and this morning. I know how you've been working in mine. But I just pray again that you would help us to leave this place a little different than when we came. That we would go out encouraged and empowered and with direction as to what you would have us to do next. In Jesus' name, amen.